welcome to the first segment in my new course. This is the third section in the Anatomy of Yoga workshop series. And in this third part, we're going to be talking about the practical application of all of the anatomy knowledge that you have learned, whether you learned that in your teacher training or you took one of my online courses. If you feel like you need to brush up on your understanding of anatomical terminology, muscles, bones, head over to Udemy and check out my online courses. They are really good at helping yoga teachers to grasp some of the complex topics in anatomy in a way that is very digestible and easily applied to what you do as a yoga teacher. Let's look at some of the key components that I like to consider when I'm teaching an anatomically based yoga practice. Specifically, looking at the skeletal system and the joints for this list. And the first thing that I like to consider are the three planes of movement. And hopefully you covered that in your yoga teacher training or you took one of my previous courses to get a good grasp on what the three planes of movement are. And then you want to start to ask yourself, in the overall scope of this practice that I've put together, am I using a good variety of some sagittal plane movements, some coronal plane movements, and some transverse plane movements? And you want to think about that at different joints too, because sometimes we'll have a tendency to maybe do a lot of forward bending and back bending, especially with the hip joint. We might do a lot of hip flexion or hip extension, a lot of forward folding, but maybe we are neglecting the transverse plane, so hip rotation, internal and external rotation. That is always a consideration, especially if you tend to teach a vinyasa class that is based around the sun salutations. The sun salutations have a tendency to really like the sagittal plane, lots of forward and back, up and down sorts of movements. So then as the teacher to create a well-rounded movement practice, you're going to start to think, okay, how do I bring in some coronal plane movements, abduction and adduction, lateral flexion? How do I bring in transverse plane movements, spine rotation, shoulder rotation, hip rotation? So really looking back and you can reflect after you teach a class, go back and run through the class in your head and think, okay, did I do too many movements on a certain plane or did I do a good job of rounding everything out? Because that's when students leave the room feeling more balanced in their body. They don't feel like they overused a certain part or aggravated a certain part. And that brings us to the next part and that is thinking about joint movements, joint range of motion really thinking about what can each joint in the body do. And it can be helpful to pull up the PDF that I've provided with all the movements in the body from head to toe, every movement that the joint is able to do. And it's not to say that you have to try to cram in every single movement into every single yoga class that you teach, but it is about thinking, am I doing a good job of creating a well-rounded practice by incorporating lots of different movements. And you can reflect back to that idea of the three planes of movement. So if we focus in on the shoulder and you think, okay, am I just doing a ton of arms up and down or am I just doing a ton of arms out to the side? 
or am I doing a good job of also bringing in internal rotation and external rotation in a way that's really balanced? So the question is always, am I overusing certain movements and underusing other movements? Because this is where our yoga practice can start to get imbalanced. And when you're practicing for a long period of time, that can really predispose us to the likelihood of getting injured when we forward fold and forward fold and forward fold over and over and over without balancing that with the other movements that can lead us down a road that can eventually lead to injury. So coming at your lesson planning from the very beginning with an idea of creating balance is really going to serve your body and your students' bodies very well. It's what helps people to leave the class feeling like they got a full body massage. It was like a movement massage when we do a good job of balancing the three planes of movement, balancing out the joint actions that make up those poses, and then making sure that we're not overusing certain movements or underusing certain movements. Now, one of the mistakes that I made when I was a new teacher and I was trying to create class themes was I would say, okay, I'm gonna do a hip opening yoga class and almost every pose in that class would be hip rotation, hip rotation, hip rotation, and a lot of passive stretching. Fast forward a few years and I figured out the error of my ways, partly because my body was starting to not feel good after I did my practice. I was getting more aches and pains and I really wanted to figure out why. So one of the really common things that I see with overused movements is passive hip external rotation. There's a lot of like butterfly pose, um, lotus, things like that where there's strong external rotation. And I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers who also does yoga, she's a physical therapist. And I said, what poses can you think of that you do in your practice that incorporate internal hip rotation? And she kind of looked at me like, hmm, I don't know. And we kind of thought about it for the rest of the day, like going back and forth. And we came up with maybe two by the end of the day, but it was really an eye-opening experience of we do not do a good job of balancing the hips in our yoga practice. We are overusing external rotation and not using enough internal rotation. And that can really have an impact on the way that the whole lower extremity chain is able to work. So it was a great learning experience for me to uncover that imbalance in the way that I was practicing and in the way that I was teaching. And I've gotten really great feedback from students as we gradually start to incorporate more internal rotation and they start to feel like, hey, my hips don't feel as tight and I feel like my balance is better. So it's interesting to see how finding those little missing pieces in your practice makes a difference in how you feel. So the two at the bottom here are thinking about who your students are. When we connect this back to the skeletal system and the joints, we want to think, who are the people who are in front of me that I'm creating this practice for? That practice is going to look different if it's a group of people in their 80s who have arthritis and they're coming in for a gentle joint care yoga practice. That practice would look very different if I was teaching at a gym for predominantly people who were athletes and they were looking for cross training. 
because the status of their joints are really rather different. So they're going to respond to movement differently and they are prepared for different levels of movement. That's definitely a consideration. Always think about the students that are in front of you and adapting the yoga practice to meet the needs of those students. You're also going to think about any specific precautions or contraindications. And in terms of the skeletal system, thinking about things like, is there anyone in the class who's had a joint replacement, like a hip replacement or a knee replacement? So there are special considerations for different things like that. Some people who have had a specific type of knee replacement are not supposed to put pressure on that artificial joint. They're not supposed to go into a kneeling position. So that can really change the way that you guide that student through their practice, taking into consideration the status of their joints. The last thing on here I put was thinking about where you're teaching. One of the things to think about is the surface that you're on. So if I was teaching in a gym that had a cement floor, that's going to maybe need more props or things to pad the joints and the bony prominences of the body. Or if I was in a studio teaching on a cork floor and we had access to lots of blankets and bolsters, that's really going to expand how much adaptation you can do to that practice because of the access to those props. Maybe you're teaching through Zoom and your students are in their home and they have to just gather things that are going to help to adapt that process to what they have and how their body is feeling that day. So just some general things to think about, but the main ones I want you to focus on when you're thinking about how would I structure a class is really coming back to, am I doing a good job of incorporating the three planes of movement throughout the entire body? Am I doing a good job of incorporating a variety of different joint movements through the poses and the movements that I'm selecting? And then am I overusing or underusing certain poses or certain joint movements? And when you get into the habit of reflecting back onto your class and going back and doing a little bit of critiquing to see where you could make improvements, it will start to just become second nature. You won't have to think so hard about it you will automatically craft a class that is really well balanced. So I hope that was some helpful information to help you teach a more anatomically balanced and well-rounded yoga practice. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019, which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I have worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So 
this manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. Um, you can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy. And my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.